you're on the air. Don't say anything crazy. I've just burnt through I've just burnt through a pound of sage pound of sage in in the process of this podcast the hell has that done to your psychic quality right now well my my psychic my psychic and spiritual abilities are improving exponentially as this mm. this sage burns my curtains are burnt to a crisp <laughs> my <laughs> landlord sage what you were uh, served with the lamb my my landlord's um issuing an eviction notice because of the fire hazard <laughs> but spiritually i'm doing very well right now that's perfect you're without a home but inside you found i suppose an internal home you feel at ease and you i think you should feel at liberty to burn sage wherever you please i think so I think so. And as you and you say there, internally, as Alan Watts said, you can find inner spiritual sanctum by looking from within. Wow. I love Alan Watts. I often fall asleep listening to Alan's Watts sort of musings. He's a very um learned man. I wish I, um I wish I wish I wish he was still around. I feel like the world could do with a bit of Watts energy. Yeah, I th- I think so, man. Oh man. Al- Alan Watts, I was introduced him to him from a really good friend back in 2013 and at the time and I hadn't I hadn't been introduced to any of these kind of concepts I knew nothing about Buddhism or anything like that um I knew nothing about you know in my mind I was a a scientific you know I'm a materialist someone who was just pure pure science based and I yes. I wasn't happy about entertaining anything mildly spiritual mildly metaphysical you know i would have dismissed any of that as woo woo um you're an empirical man that demands evidence there's nothing wrong with that exactly statistical salesman salesman (laughs) analytical i need where's the data show me the data show me the data and i'll show you the money (laughs) (laughs) but but honestly man i really i really believe a lot of people could do with a good dose of alan watts you know because i think he's a great way to introduce non-spiritual people or people who perhaps are a little bit interested in in you know the the monotheistic religions or pe- perhaps people who are raised you know protestant or catholic or muslim to really to really get into those those kind of brain waves well i think he's more than that man he's almost like um i suppose the west's east portal to the eastern philosophies you know buddhism a lot of the um um, sort of mentalities that pervade some of the mm. Asian philosophies, um, Buddhism, whether that is, and certainly not. Um, he he's quite critical, actually, of a lot of Western civilization, the kind of things that we see as, um, I suppose, self-evident. He questions down to the ground and then flips them on their head and looks at it from a because uh, I suppose there's almost a yin and yang against Western sort of empirical evidence-based philosophy. I suppose that's grounded in Greek philosophy, ultimately, mm. uh, which is mm. kind of just puts rationale and um, reasoning above all else, whereas sort right. of Easterning is in touch with the, the soul and the spiritual and maybe just a feeling of maybe how you feel or experience the world is maybe more important than drilling down into the root causes of everything. Mm. 
Yeah, actually, that's so beautiful the way you put that drilling down into the root causes of everything. Yes. Because there's there's a quality, isn't there, to Buddhism of just I wouldn't say it's stoicism, but it's taking it's taking life as it comes exactly. and accepting it. And not needing to strip away the beauty to understand what lies beneath and kind of just taking it on face value as beautiful. Mm. As opposed to being like, how does the wings of a butterfly upper operate? The muscle must contract to operate the up motion. There must be an equal and opposite reaction to make it fly. But yes, there must be. Um, <laughs> there, there, it's sometimes it's, it's what, what a tragic, what a tragic, what a tragic way to think, right? What a waste. Why can't you just, what a fucking what a waste. waste. What a waste. Exactly. Just perceive it as it as it was meant to be perceived. It's almost like, are you infringing on God's blueprint by seeing what's beneath? Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, do you think that's what people? Uh, do you think that's why people are so critical of of Eastern, Eastern philosophy because it it digs below, um, what people would perceive as God's blueprint, God's plan. Mm. Uh, I suppose maybe that's why Eastern philosophy may see sort of not much utility in the Western way of looking down to the root cause and causality of everything, mm. down to the sort of level of particles. But then you know. You can't, I think ultimately for me, it boils down to almost being able to seesaw between the two when it suits you and for the appropriate context. Because kind of when you're just sitting there in the French Alps and perceiving a beautiful view, you kind of don't want to be delving into how this blade of grass came to be. You just kind of, it is, and you you enjoy the view as it is. And it comes to you and it's sort of by delving too much into it and thinking too much into it, it just detracts from the beauty of the moment. So... I think, mm, but mm. there are times and there's a time and space for drilling down into root causes, and obviously that yields insights that can drive technology and you know perpetuate the human race forward. I think it's science, ultimately evidence-based research, is the foundation of a lot of what we enjoy nowadays. So we, we mm. can't we can't knock it too much. There's a time and a place. No. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There's a time and a place because you've you've got to. You've got to really place value in the times where we can spend hours and months and years drilling into, you know, modern medicine or technologies, um, artificial intelligence, things that can propel efficiencies and the general health of, of the human and the animal population. Um, and and that's that's so important. But there's, yeah, yes. there's definitely a quality to, to the Alan Watts school um, mm. that talks about you know, you don't think about breathing, you just do it. Right, and that's right. Take, taking that very simple principle and applying it to, say, reading, you know. I don't know, this is a bit of a problem for me. Like, when I, when I read, um, I'm thinking, oh, I want to get to the next page, I want to get to the next chapter, and then I want to get to the next book. Um, and that's happened to me a few times, quite, quite more than a few times. Whereas maybe I should be taking that principle and just being purely and beautifully in the moment on you know every letter every word just enjoying yeah. that book to the max Fully i don't know do you, do you ever have that yeah. problem absolutely you're kind of you're egging towards the end analysis and the conclusion of a conflict which is typically what a good story is right it's a conflict and then the resolution of a conflict is the conclusion and you kind of your mind almost preempts what the conclusion could be because it's only natural to do so but mm. i think it's um it's very tempting to do that and all, all too easy to do that but I think, yeah, it detracts from the moment of and the joy of each page and each word and the moment and the emotions that are evoked on that page. And it's kind of you've got to just be in that to, uh, I suppose, fully enjoy it because, mm. yeah, it's otherwise it detracts from the experience. And I think the same goes for life. You can kind of draw that same analogy, right? Mm. Um, 
yeah yeah For, you you can you can apply that to so many things i mean one one that's i'd say a, a major talking point is thoughts you know think thinking alan watts always said the biggest biggest issue is is thinking about thoughts people are thinking too much about their own thoughts ah. and <laughs> it's a vicious cycle isn't it it's thinking so about meta. thinking no how many layers are there to it but it's true and i think it's the root of a lot of anxiety and especially when you sort of the advent of um overt comparison via social media mm. that sort of thing that only kind of perpetuates thoughts upon thoughts and sort of unhealthy comparison which then leads to you know unsavory thoughts but there's also um alan what sort of described you know you you, you spoke about the book um you know it's there to be enjoyed on any given page on every given word you know it's it was a song and you were supposed to be dancing mm. not mm. sort of perpetual not it, otherwise the best symphonies would be the ones that ended quickest yes that's right that's right yeah and i believe there's a cartoon that the guys from south park did on that yes and it's it really good like it was a, a conductor and he was he was conducting at lightning speed and then the the symphony ended, you know, in a in a second. Yes. It's like, oh, that must be the best one because it was, you know, it was ended quickest. Uh, yeah, there's so much truth in. We're that. all tending to the same end, right? We're all gonna die, and although we don't like to think about that too much, it's um, ultimately where um, our ultimate, I suppose, destination is, and it's kind of we decide what we do in between. Hmm. And um, you can make that as poetic and beautiful, or risk averse, or um, yeah, I mean, it's it's your story to write. Mm. I think that can be sort of terrifying and liberating in equal measure. But for me, it's uh, it's quite liberating. Oh, yes, I think so. Well, some people have referred to life as a single-player game, which I kind of like the the, the, the the weird sort of virtual reality, but but actually it's reality interpretation of life. And you have all these, these colors and these sounds, and you're being bombarded, and it's up to you to interpret those Um you know, in a way that you see fit that brings you you happiness uh, and joy, and that that that's coming back to you know the um, the Jeffersonian um, term pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and not happiness, but the pursuit of happiness. How you interpret that is completely up to you. Um, we're all going to reach mm. that same end destination, um, which is death. So. Once you embrace that um, and you fear less, it's it's difficult to not fear it at all because of the mental baggage and the attachments that we have. But once you embrace that, then it, I think that's quite a liberating thing for that that single player life game. I think so. I think you can see it in one of two ways. But I think for some people it's paralyzing, but hopefully for most people it's quite liberating in that sort of there's this end inside and it's all it's going to happen no matter what so you may as well have fun in between and do whatever you want to do and this sort of try get dogma whether that's sort of the prevailing social economic dogma or religious or whatever to not try and to drive your decisions too much on an individual day-to-day -day level mm. and so hopefully you kind of create your own um, individual philosophy and whether that means adopting large sections of other dogma that's fine but it's it's whatever i suppose yields you results in your um pursuits mm. yeah i know yeah. it's like a super individualistic sort of approach and um i suppose that resonates strongly with the american population largely with western society mm. Mm. um yeah there's not the idea so much of collectivism and sort of the bringing up of society as a whole but i suppose if we all look after ourselves individually first kind of look after you know put put ourselves first and live 
the best lives we can and be the best versions of ourselves in every sense um then that surely lifts society as a whole by definition mm, mm. yeah there's um there's that politician i forget i forget his name um but he, he made a similar comment about you know where you are on the left or right political spectrum and when when you're talking about your your immediate family he's a communist when he's talking about his his friendship group he's a socialist um and people in his neighborhood he's a socialist when it comes to you know people people in his state he's a conservative and then on like the federal level the nationwide level he'd be a libertarian and um mm. that i think that resonates somewhat if if i'm reading you correctly that i think that resonates somewhat with what you're saying you know that you you're caring for yourself and the ones directly around you um it's difficult to extend that to perhaps a nationwide level or a you know a statewide or a provincially wide level but if you if you take that that belief um on your immediate circle then you're going to be generally governing yourself in a positive way a lot of people would disagree with that a lot of people would yes. really disagree with that but i think there's something yeah. to that yeah i think you're dif if you're disciplining yourself on the individual level first i think that's the only place you can start really because i don't think you can go around um spouting advice and ways or sort of even protesting about a given cause until you've kind of got your own house in order and i you know you, know, you can mean that literally so jordan peterson talks about you know making the very domain of your immediate environment orderly because without sort of putting your room your house and by extension then society in order you kind of don't start until you can't you're not in a position to be spouting morals and ways the society should govern itself and sort of the best most um i suppose most sort of aspirational um or what aspirations should be without sort of i suppose putting your first uh, your, your yourself first and therefore putting your own immediate environment um in order and it's quite liberating because it's so tangible right you can quite quickly put your room in order and that automatically has a positive feedback loop on how you feel mm. and mm. that can hopefully perpetuate better feelings and better more bigger picture thinking but it starts small mm. it does start small and uh those small things are very doable aren't they you know you know making that phone call to your your grandmother once a week or making sure that your room is spick and span or maybe tending to your garden and you know doing some weeding those things are very very doable and tangible you know i mean even in yeah. even in times like this you know we're talking about very strange strange times right now with this pandemic where we're limited socially we're limited in so many ways you know it's interesting that those small jobs and approaches to a good life and being good to others and yourself is is not that yeah. out of reach well, yeah i think i suppose tending to your own plot is more important than ever before because sort of that your internal or immediate plots become that much bigger part of or bigger has taken up a bigger proportion of your life than ever before because you're confined because you're not going out as much because you're not seeing as many people as you did before and not having the usual social interactions mm. so yeah I, I think it sort of stands true more than ever that you should tend to sort of what's immediately within your environment and do your best to um, make it beautiful make it a productive workspace a workout place and sort of tend to both mental and body mm. aspects so the physical and the mental and i think for me it certainly makes sense to start with the physical because that's almost the more tangible out of the two 
Um, and so for me, it was starting to run on a regular basis. And that sort of then comes back as a virtuous circle in terms of a feedback loop. I feel better. I've got more energy. Therefore, I'm in a better mental state already just by just by token of running. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think it starts there. But it's it's it like you said, because we're in such strange times, this pandemic, this sort of one in a hundred year event. I think it's it's so much the case that we need to be careful about our thoughts and careful around how we govern our space and maybe you know introduce more discipline than ever before mm. because we you know when you make your environment a productive environment and a beautiful environment to be in and sort of minimalist with minimal distraction and able to therefore sort of better divide your day up and schedule it because i think a, sch a schedule is very important to keeping a healthy mental yeah. state to do that you um it, it's almost a self um it, it re it's a reinforcing circle so you make the environment around you good and then the environment around you makes you feel better in turn and it, it's um yeah mm, mm. it's a virtuous circle in it's that an sense. ouroboros some would say ouroboros <laughs> it's an ouroboros the snake eats its tail the snake eats its tail it, it represents many things that ouroboro ouroboro yeah the the ouroboros i think if i was ever to get a tattoo it would be the ouroboros um <laughs> or it would be a, the wave representation of the Ouroboros. There's a, there's a different representation yes. that was popular in Japan, and it was a it was actually a wave, like a self perpetuating wave. Uh, wow, which I think aesthetically looks better. But yeah, the Ouro the Ouroboros is an interesting concept because it's so it's applicable in negative situations. Um, it's applicable in positive situations where people's lives have. Um, you know, created positive feedback loops, uh, like like the one you were just describing, Brother Bear. Um, it's definitely it's definitely useful uh, in in different situations. One one I would say is the this the corporate trap that people get into, or perhaps you know a lot of people enjoy that corporate trap. But you know the sort of the climbing the company ladder, um, mm. and you know people do it through academic circles, and they do it in the in the real world when they get to. Um, you know, a corporate structure, and they are constantly climbing the ladder, and and they're never they're never uh, really there. It never gets there. It's all it's all wretch and no vomit, as Alan Watts would say. Um, and then eventually <laughs> they they get to a, a very high position. They don't feel any different to how they did at the very beginning of the journey. Yes, and that that's an ouroboros. That's an ouroboros in the sense that the snake is eating its. It's a it's a cyclical uh, process you go through. Um, where you mm. you you start where you finish you finish where you start what do you think about yeah. that brother bear i think the idea of a cycle and some level of rhythm to everything i suppose the universe is run on rhythms right night and day i suppose it's run in duality and um polar opposites right the, right. the polarization of the universe is um pervasive it's everywhere you get you do it between night and day sun moon um happy sad um <laughs> you know north pole south pole everything there, there is a polarity to everything it seems mm, and it, mm. seen that polarity seems to go quite deep down to the you know neutrons where yeah. you have um positrons and almost antimatter and matter um and i i think it's interesting for us all for every particle that's positively charged you get a negative charge and so on and yeah i did speak to someone about this and they did say that they've they've certainly seen people who i suppose tend towards 
those sort of aspirations that we see as um, good in the West in terms of climbing up the corporate ladder. And maybe they're, they're not aware of that polarity and potentially that these aspirations of theirs are fairly vacuous once they get arrive, if you mm. like. Um, so there will be partners who've climbed the ladder um, and maybe, you know, done very well for themselves and actually met all the criteria they were looking for. But in the meantime, they've gone through a divorce and their children don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's almost like, you know, what was it all for? Was any of this worth worth the struggle, really? Yeah, and probably if you boil it down, it would be like a net zero because the um, matter count exactly balances out the antimatter so you've kind of <laughs> gone nowhere and <laughs> it's a net zero what was it all for it but for? no i think the key to this was sort of the um i suppose moral of the story if you like is that we have to seek some form of balance and this speaks to the um, yin and yang and you have to walk the Tao. Or the, the, is it the Tao? is it the Tao? yeah or the, is it the, the um it's certainly anyway the Tao. Yeah. yes so Alan Watts talks about this again, back to Alan Watts, he's always relevant, about talking, walking the way, walking the way between yin and yang, and it's it's that line that straddles the two, the, the border essentially between yin and yang, that very thin but um, perfectly balanced tightrope you need to walk in order to, um, I suppose, enjoy life in all of its, um, in all of its spectrums. But it's it's it, it's like it's it's like it's like in allowing enough chaos into your life so you can kind of be risk of a um, sorry take enough mm. risk to sort of invite risk into mm. your life, mm. um, but also not too much whereby risk can quite kind of a, too much of an appetite for risk quite quickly descend into chaos. That's that's very well put. Um, I think walk, walking the Tao does invite risk averse routine based behavior, which is really really important for productivity. Once you've got your formula, once you've got a formula for life that works, or a formula for that sequence of your life that works, but then definitely having an element of chaos um, or an element of risk is is useful. And it, it's so interesting from person to person what that looks like because it seems that like for for a lot of people that that was drugs, like that's all, that's always been drugs or drinking a lot. Um, and I know we we were discussing this. Um, the other week, you know, with people who were, you know, company men and women, but they use a lot of cocaine and things like that. And I feel like whether whether they're aware of it or not, in in like the Taoist sense, that's the that's the chaotic side, their chaotic side breaking through, because when they're sober, the the routine and the the revenue targets and all those metrics as have such a stranglehold on their life. Um, so I'd I'd yeah. say there's definitely there's definitely parallels to be made there. Um, I don't know. I, th I think I think being being sober for a little bit, as in just just averting, basic basically avoid avoiding any alcohol or anything like that, um, is a great way to experience the yin and yang in the sense that you get to feel everything. Um, you know, because I think I think alcohol in particular in society um, and for a lot of people, marijuana is used as a numbing. Um, sort of a numbing agent, something that can, you know, Pink Floyd talk about, you know, comfortably, comfortably numb, you know, the ability to, to drink and, and do marijuana to celebrate when you're, you know, you're really happy, 
or to numb the pain when something really bad happens. I think there's a real, there's some real Taoist value in actually avoiding that, even if it's just for three months, even if it's just for six months, something like that. But cutting that out just to experience feeling everything and, and in the true Buddhist sense, feeling all the suffering and all the positives as well. Yeah, I think you're right. So it almost just baselines you in this sort of mediocre position of kind of never being truly happy, never being truly sad. And that is is a shame, I think, in and of itself, right? Because life life is not all happy. And actually part of life is sort of experiencing the full spectrum of emotions. And if you can sort of just, you know, quiver around the baseline of neither here nor there, and like you say, sort of comfortably numb, it's not... Um, it's not a full spectrum of life you're experiencing and those emotions are there to be experienced i feel mm. you know even if they are negative and even if you do cry i think in some sense there's some it's something there's something poetic about that right and i mm. think it's sort of these dopamine fixes whether that's um drugs or um social media it seems to sort of just keep you with this weird baseline but never on the extremes and i think it's maybe where at the extremes that we find most growth and most joy and Mm. most despair but also it's i think it's a shame not to go to those extremes because they're they're there to sort of almost be met or hit Mm. not as targets but you know it'd be a shame not to Mm. so you think when we reach the extremes that's where you experience the most growth the most emotional and intellectual growth yeah, I think the extremes of anything when you push yourself that extra mile on your run or whether you sort of do those extra few hours at work, it's those extremes that, I mean, it's the old cheesy saying, you know, if you don't push yourself out of your comfort zone, you don't grow, but there's a huge amount of truth in that. You know, if you only stay in your comfort zone, I think at best you stagnate. At worst, you probably more, more likely than not, you're actually going to a retreat mm. and um, mm. sort of almost fold into yourself yeah you don't yeah. want that so i just think it's almost desirable to experience um well, it sounds silly saying this but of course it's desirable to experience the full spectrum of emotion in life and whether that's up or down and i think there's lessons to be learned and a lot more lessons and more important lessons to be learned more quickly earlier on and the extremes of the emotions if if um you know there are the circumstances that do so and mm-hmm. I don't think we should shy away from those circumstances, but sort of like a ship doesn't face the wave as a, on the side on, you sort of face it head on and smash through yeah. and you come out a stronger person. Mm. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's definitely food for, food for thought. Um, you know, pushing, pushing yourself, taking risks and um, measured risks, I suppose, to yeah to stimulate some kind of spiritual growth or emotional growth um yeah you mentioned social media a couple of times there and and i I did want to talk to you about misinformation actually um because news sure fake news or just just too much news fake news fake news fake news fake news alert but just not enough capacity to to deal with with so much information and news i mean Ah. that's that's what i wanted to have a little talk with you about and i I also wanted to actually before we go on to that i did want to um i I think it's definitely worth talking about the 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 thing we were discussing before about too many thoughts um you know 
things, thoughts on thoughts and thinking about thoughts, the stuff that Alan Watts talks about. Um, and I do believe that there is a, there's like a, an issue with the human um, condition that's rooted in too many thoughts um, and almost worshipping intellectuals um, or academics or, you know, it could it could even be, you know, sort of your, your cult leaders or anyone like that, that gives you too much information but also keeps things just vague enough to keep you there. And I, I feel like that that's going on in in our universities and I feel like that's going online in terms of our um, our gurus, you know, your sort of financial and, and strange gurus are popping up all over the internet. Um, yes. You know, I'm kind of meandering here a bit, but I hope, you, I hope you're getting like the gist of what I'm trying to say. Please meander. Meander like the <laughs> Amazon River. Please. I love it. Physical geography. Physical it's geography. great. We didn't do it, but uh, we respect <laughs> it because it's a science apparently, which it's not. This is part of the... Um, is part of the studio guru no we love it my brother did it and he did a very good job and i'm very proud of him i didn't know your brother so, did physical, was, he did physical geography did he physical geography yeah he did so he did very well indeed and uh we're all very proud of him shout out to seb good lad good lad well done good, good lad. well done sebby so back to your point so <laughs> I, I think we're probably facing a, a crisis of I suppose, pseudo-gurus and charlatans all over the shop, whether that's academia, whether that's sort of financial advice. I think probably social media has only served to accelerate this phenomenon. Um, we spoke about pseudo-gurus in our last podcast, which I absolutely loved. That was a great podcast with Jen. But I think um, the issue goes a lot deeper than simply cults. Mm. I think it's... Um, kind of the, 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 the pervasiveness of all information, the ability to publish anything anywhere, almost in and of itself will inevitably lead to a lot of hell of a lot of misinformation out there because there's so much more of it therefore a bigger proportion is kind of if you're going to just increase the amount the percentage by definition maybe if, even if it stays the same the quantity will increase mm -hmm. right um so yeah and I, I think it's probably the ability and the platforms offer them an ability to pump this information and it's really highly it's a very effective ways of doing it right because you're reaching an insane population mm -hmm. Um, ultimately um, uncapped so it could be it could get an unbelievable amount of views um, for very little overhead in terms of licensing the platform or anything like that so I think as much good as it's perpetuated it's also um, it, and, it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an impossible question it's I don't think I've got the answer as to how you police that mm. how do you um, I know there was um, a pattern or something or a request raised by Elon Musk around creating a platform that would try and deal with this sort of issue. And I suppose it would be fundamentally AI driven mm. um, and would try and root out the fake news and um, hopefully create a, a safer and fairer. But then, then you're like, well, who controls the algorithm and who controls the AI and how does it decide what's true, what's right. not? So yeah, and what's um, pseudo news, what's actual? So yeah, I think it's it's a difficult line to tread because you kind of if you keep boiling the root cause down to the end, you're always going to find a human at the end of the chain, right. and kind of what values that human holds dear will probably in large part dictate what the algorithm does, or that collection of human beings, or the culture of the company, right? Mm. So it's kind of like what level do you want to look at it? Right, right. Well, look at I mean, look at the the Silicon Valley bubble, and there's I, th I think there's definitely 
they will admit it themselves. There is um, the sort of a liberal dominance um, in terms of how they vet information and what they choose to publish. Um, and, you know, that whether that's genuine or not is another discussion because um, some would say that, that's, that they really pursue that because it's more marketable to be a liberal company. You're reaching the, the highest number of followers, the highest number of people. Um, just just by definition, you're not going to be alienating certain groups. Um, but but still, you know that that isn't like an all all neutral algorithm. There's there's a company culture. There's a there's a the culture of the Silicon Valley bubble that is influencing mm. the information we perceive. Um, yes, and every everything. I mean, there's you know when someone when someone gets shot at a protest in America, which happened pretty recently, happened a month ago. Um, when that hit the news, it was covered in about two dozen different ways about who did the shooting, who instigated it, what the kind of people were like involved in the situation. And it's just so messy. It's so much information. And I don't feel like, I don't feel like my brain, maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but I don't feel like my brain Mm. has the capacity to even make a judgment call when there's that much information and nearly all of it's conflicting. Well, that's the thing, I think, because you, you've got that many more sources to deal with now. Mm. Back in maybe the 20s and 30s, there were maybe a few reputable newspapers, and for some reason back then, um, people didn't question it, I suppose, because there was only those reputable sources of information and news. And so you took that on face value, and you didn't sort of delve into questioning everything. Unfortunately, unfortunately... It's it's a natural evolution, right? That there will be new iterations of news and ways information is, I suppose, passed and dissected and disseminated, um, disseminated, destroyed. But yes, the I, I think just the, the sheer number of sources we're seeing and the sort of the amount of information we're exposed to now is just overwhelming, and our brains have had nowhere near enough time to catch up with the I suppose circuitry required to sort of process this amount of information in a healthy and steady way and also able to file it and assimilate it and make some sort of i suppose conclusion Mm. draw or draw conclusions from it because i I don't think you can because some insane statistic like there's more information in a single metro newspaper for those who don't know it's just a standard um tube newspaper you get in london on the trains there's more information than that than someone in the medieval era would be exposed through throughout their whole lifetime. <laughs> that's crazy. That's be- that's believable because if you think if you think of the metro or any major broadsheet or even a tabloid, um, believe it or not, cover to cover, that's a lot of text. It's a lot of information and images. Um, well, the thing is, man, it's not that much because compared to like what someone would be exposed to in medieval era, it's really not that crazy, especially when you compare it to digital media. Mm. And mm. so, so that that's kind of like the analog version of digital media, and even that was more information than anyone was exposed to in a lifetime in the medieval era. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think sort of the bits per second, we're not quite there yet in terms of the hardware of our brains, but uh, obviously <laughs> yeah. the software. Um, and the virtual space meet social media has kind of not really thought about that and you know you can't blame them because why would they yeah that's right i mean are we even ready for the car at this point <laughs> like the amount ima- the amount of the amount of uh incidents accidents there are with with vehicles 
um, the amount of drunk drivers, you know, you know, you could, argue, you could make the argument that are we even prepared for that kind of technology, let alone the internet. The internet is like playing with fire, is like we've discovered it fire. Is. We're trying to adapt it to our, our the best of our abilities. Um, we're trying to innovate with it, which is definitely the right thing to do. But there's so much trial and error and there's so much destruction and misinformation um, that comes with that. Um, and I just I just feel like the result of that, we're, we're in that. I mean, I know I know in the past we've had discussions and you've you've expressed sort of um, you've definitely expressed um, some sadness that we are in just the very nascent phases of the internet and space travel um, and all these technologies that have come to the fore and they're definitely in our grasp but we haven't we're nowhere near realizing their true potential we know we're nowhere near channeling their energy in um you know an effective way or a way that's yeah. um you know in tune with with harmony for the human race um i mean the internet's a prime example just giving how divisive it's made everybody you know you have the rabbit yeah. hole effect with with the way that the algorithms work the mechanisms behind that um and I think I think it's really frightening right now. We're getting up to the U.S. election. It's going to be in, you know, a month and a half, really. Um, no less than that. A month and eight days, I think it is, or nine days. Um, and it's just going to be more and more division in the lead up to that. And I do, I do think mm. that the the way the algorithms are structured is definitely a contributing factor. Yeah, definitely. There was a whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, wasn't there, around how they were utilizing personal data to sort of do tailored marketing, bespoke mm -hmm. marketing, almost based on your context and your views, um, and sort of illegally so harnessing way too much personal data to sort of target people, I suppose, whether they were more susceptible to Republican or Democratic um, inclinations. But yeah, um, I think it's very interesting how that election is going to unfold. I think you can safe to say this far from the two most um far from the two best human beings we could put forward for the job but <laughs> it is what it is and let's see what happens i think the debate isn't it tonight leo i don't know i haven't been following it at no all. it is it is it is yeah, i'm sure it is tonight yeah will you be tuning in be quite entertaining won't it yeah i think so i think so God, I've got to but see. The best. So, yeah. So, sorry because because I, before I just forget that train of thought because you kicked off something there back there where you were saying um about yes I was rather nascent indeed because you you were um, sad uh, you were you were you you were sad about it we had a discussion in your garage oh and yeah you yeah. you said well. uh, you were happy that that there'd been projections for Mars exploration you were happy that right. the the internet had come to the fore and had entered our daily lives but you were sad about the way it was being used and you were sad that we weren't in a phase where maybe we were 100 or 200 years too early for it to be used in a positive way that could actually i don't know create jobs growth harmony fill in the blank yeah. well i think whenever it would come whether that were 100 years from now or 200 years from now there'd inevitably be a teething phase right where we'd get a lot of things wrong and that would be fully understandable. So I think it's a privilege to be in that time and sort of to maybe to a lesser or greater extent influence that or at least, if nothing else, just witness it because yeah. I think it's um, going to set the precedent for the next 10, um, 
10,000 years. What the hell? Yeah, why not? Why not? Because yeah, it will. Because the, why not? Why not indeed? Um, I think people look back on this time as sort of the, the, the birth and it's, it's crazy really. You look at how much didn't happen over the last 1,000 years and how much has happened in the last 100. It's crazy. Mm. I mean, aviation's gone commercial while available. I mean, it just don't it's, even get started. You can't, there's so much to say on that, don't how even. exponentially it's, well, it's just it's crazy. mushroomed. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so I think people almost, if they, well, they won't lose the record because they've got data to look back on how it happened. But it's, um, yeah, it's fascinating. But what I was saying, I think, was almost a shame to, once the point of exploration, you kind of explored everything there is on Earth. Although people would argue there's still the oceans to explore, which is enticing. And then there's obviously um, extra terrestrial bodies. So um, your moon, your Mars, I suppose, is number one on your list. But mm. we're not quite there yet. So we're kind of in this uh, limbo between the two. Um, but it's also interesting to see the grassroots of, you know, true interplanetary travel with SpaceX and Elon Musk and what they're doing over there mm. with the um, Starship, which is very exciting. And I'm watching that yeah. very keenly and some of the hops they've been doing with the uh, Raptor engines. It's very cool. Yes. It's very cool indeed. Or Texas, very um, entrepreneurial. I love that he's doing it in Texas. Yeah, Texas. A lot of people are moving to Texas now. A lot of people are moving to Texas, Leo. Joe Rogan's there now. Is he there now, or is he? He's, he's about to go there. I think he's. I think no, I think he's moved. He's, he's moved. He's done yeah. it. He's done it. Yeah, he, he's done it. He, he's in this um, bunker. No, uh, people don't like the look of the studio. Obviously, uh, you can't touch the look of our studio because we don't show it. Well, so yeah, the production values are too high. I think people will be overwhelmed with <laughs> our studio, so we we just simply can't show it. It's too much. Too much for your eyes. Maybe in a year, we'll see. I've been talking about doing the cameras for a long time. We have been yeah, discussing um, it without any uh, any actual action, but any actual action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I um, think I think yes. there's something about Texas that inspires entrepreneurial spirit in a lot of people because it's it's so wild um, in in so many ways, and I don't mean wild as in oh, it's, it's just like a law of a jungle place. There's it's it's a microcosm of America, and it's all the extremes of America and the American experiment, all packed into one little package. There, um, it's you know all the all the liberalism, all the conservatism, all the all the wild um, ideas that people have from space travel to hog hunting is all squished into this this state. Um, and it's a state that's got a lot of arrogance, but in some ways I would say rightly so, because if you're from Texas, there's a lot to be proud of. Um, there's a lot to be proud of historically and just in terms of the, the pulse of the people. So I can really see why a lot of entrepreneurs and innovators and weird and wild people are moving there. I mean, why not? Why the mm. hell not? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've heard Austin in particular is a hotspot. People are moving there. People are sick of LA and... Um, some of the policies that have led to sort of mass homelessness and also potentially perpetuated the problem. Mm. Um, interesting people, I think, from what I've gathered from various podcasts I've listened to and opinions of people who've lived there, it sort of lost its former glory and yeah. people are looking to pastures new. Well, I suppose it goes in cycles, doesn't it? You know, and there's cycles of real estate boom and bust golden era yeah yeah you've got like golden eras you've got intellectual boom and bust that come with real estate boom and bust and you know that that can be in any industry from finance to show business um mm. but yeah i think i think that a lot of it sort of comes down to cost of living um and 
also freedoms as well. I mean, you can you can have all the money in the world, but if you if you don't have freedom, if a place is too polluted, too congested, too unpredictable, you know, you could be um, a millionaire, a multimillionaire, a billionaire, but you're not going to want to live there. You're going to want to live somewhere that allows you to to reach your full potential and your children's full potential, right? So, yeah. Yes. I definitely got a good vibe from Austin. I spent a couple of days there, um, explored the sort of Capitol Hill district and a lot of the city. It's a sort of a liberal microcosm within Texas. Um, and, yeah, there's definitely a lot of tech companies that have started there or are moving to there and things like that. So there's definitely potential. I can see why people are moving there. Mm. It's a beautiful green pastures, literally. I've heard it's um, quite flat in places, but um, beautiful steaks. That's what I heard. Yeah, I'll go there just for the steaks, the foodie. Um, I don't, I don't shy away from that. But Leo, also just going back to your point before I forget again. Um, it was almost a shame, also that I suppose I wouldn't see, like you say, the um, I suppose the maturation of the technologies we're seeing in the sort of grassroots stage at the minute. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think just the sheer potential of the grassroots technologies we're seeing at the minute, namely AI and space interplanetary travel, mm. are, are just such a delicious and wonderful uh, opportunity and technology that's just sort of in its very um, infancy. But I think I, I can almost see what an insig- what a significant part of our lives is going to be in the future, and it's just a shame. I know I'm not going to be there to witness its full maturation Mm. that's all yeah i think that's what you were getting at that the maturity when the the true capacities and productivities of these these technologies are fully realized you probably wouldn't be around um yes but i suppose we, we are witnessing some of the the teething playing with fire stages right now um, right, and yeah. and that can, that can be one of the most exciting periods, arguably, because uh, you have a lot of, um, I suppose, say over how the technology will look mm, mm. a thousand, ten, a hundred years from now, right? Um, because it's almost like you set the coordinates on the plane. If you if you're off by, I don't know, a tenth of a degree, that's exacerbated like a hundred miles down the line yes. by a hell of a lot in terms of your actual coordinates versus what you were supposed to go for. Mm. So I, I think in the very early stages, you, there's a, a huge amount of leverage, almost a disproportionate level of leverage. Mm. The earlier you are in the technology ma- maturity cycle, right? Yeah, I think I think you're right there. And there's there's also um, definitely a sense of wonder that comes from not living in a time of this is the tried and tested, established way of life, established norms. Because it is pioneering. It's yeah. pioneering. So you know. In, in perhaps a hundred or a thousand years time there'll be an established way of uh, using AI or perhaps there'll be a monopolized vendor that provides uh, you know a, a sort of uh, rubber stamped AI service to everyone in their own way and that that could yeah. actually be I suppose another way to look at it is a really boring time um, because you know it's reached perhaps its maturation as you would say um, and it's now established and there's a legal framework, um, you know, and, and probably government, as always, is in bed with corporations. So the government will be incentivizing people and corporations to use AI in one specific kind of way. So in another way of looking at it, perhaps uh, AI is a more interesting thing to experience 
in the time that we're living in. Mm. Yeah, I think there's absolutely an argument to be had there because <laughs> uh, I'm just just weighing up opportunity cost. Like, how nice would it be to see it? But like, you're never going to be at the perfect time. You just, I suppose, you're born when you're born. And you make the most of the opportunities at hand. Mm. And I think there's a hell of a lot out there. So yeah, yeah, there are, there really are. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the whole, the whole. This is a really crazy topic because. Honestly, Andre, like the the whole definition of truth is being redefined, and I feel like we we can't let that go unnoticed um, in in these podcasts. Because I mean, when when we talk about truth, you know, when you're a kid, it's really obvious what truth is, what what's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what's immoral, and that's instilled in you from your parents um, and perhaps your older brothers or sisters will instill some of that in you. And I think that the world around us um, is changing at such a rapid rate with all this information that we're being given um, from all these gurus and bring it back to the the strange gurus, the cults. Now we've got this QAnon movement that's popped up in the United States. Um, the what? QAnon. QAnon. I beg your pardon? <laughs> Gesundheit. <laughs> no, QAnon, QAnon's actually taken some some grasp in the uk as well and in brazil and surprisingly okay i've been living under a rock obviously. well probably not because i only found out about this a couple of weeks back um but mm. definitely it's worth a look at so basically it's a mo- it's a movement that is based around every calling out everything as a conspiracy so oh, you've no. got Allah. is alex jones running it I don't know if he's actually connected to it. He might be, but he's. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know, brother Bear. This is this is almost like a separate. It's like a cult, though. It's a cult. So it's and yeah. and I was reading a few uh, a few articles on this, and and some people were saying, you know, in the past I've lost people to alcoholism or drug abuse. Well, I've lost people to QAnon now, and people what? people are actually losing family members like you know their 40 or 50 year old mother or their 30 year old brother to this movement um and and what's it based around is it just sort of an unhealthy level of questioning and sort of taking nothing on face value it's two things it's it's exactly that it's a very unsavory and unhealthy level of questioning so everything is a lie. We're being lied to about the moon landing. We're being lied to about JFK. We're being lied to about 5G, about the coronavirus. Um, oh God, this this sounds like a, a breakdown of reason itself. It's almost, it reminds me, harkens back to this destructive, and I think described by one esteemed philosopher as the most destructive philosophy ever, which was Dadaism. Oh God, Dadaism. Sort of, if I give you an example, it it, it, it it sort of reminds me of that. Like you, sh- you, so, you show a Dadaist a chair and be like, no, why is that not a problem? Yes, yes. Because I remember in university, um, we had a lecturer. It's clearly. It was action. It, 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 it. it yeah, sorry. It's it, like sorry, Leo. No, no. I just, yes, I just, in case you'd forgotten, we did have a lecturer who was yeah. besotted by Dadaism, and who? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say their name on live here, but there's, a, 
in case I get it wrong. Call them out. I'm Come not, on. I'm not calling them out. Partly Do because it. I don't actually remember no, their full name, but I know exactly what they look like. And I remember they had this like unhealthy obsession with Dadaism. We went through an entire set of... Can you do an impression? Okay, okay. So we were there and she was like, this is, we're going to put the PowerPoint presentation on and every slide is going to show you an object, but the caption underneath will say something different. And then we had a picture of, I think it was a chair and it said, this is an apple. And then next slide and take a look at this pipe. And it was just, it was like a smoker's pipe. And then underneath it, it just said giraffe. And then, you know, and then, and then it would, and this was progressing. So this is exactly this is, And they were, these were innocuous objects. These was ju- they were just innocuous. Like, look at this desk lamp, you know, the, and th- this went on for probably 10 minutes. And I thought, you know, okay. And whatever was, the I don't know. I don't know. But then, but then, okay, just a counter argument here before we go down the data's route, you know, um, I think what they were getting at was kind of, a what is reality sort of question you know it's like what it question question everything everything. question everything what it what is reality is empirical perception all that it's all that it professes to be you know is (laughs) are these are these objects what they claim to be or are they actually charlatans and imposters (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing what do you i suppose yeah there is um how do you define an apple is it the form is it the color if i were to make an apple out of paper mache would you still call it an apple or a sculpture (laughs) wow they're onto something man they are they are onto something with that it's like what is does the form or the medium by which something is given to you um it's like colors isn't it right it's like is is this yellow this is not yellow you know the pictures i think the pictures on your screen or my computer screen we're looking at now, I think they're only in the primary colors. And I think it serves as sort of a fundamental exercise. But like, you're right. I I almost toyed with that idea as a kid. Like, how do I know that when my sister says this is red, how do I know it's the same red I see? Right, because you see it the same way, but your perception of that color might be completely different. Right, exactly. But as long as we're all agreed that's red, it's kind of then whenever they see that color elsewhere, they will identify it as red. So it's meaningless kind of whether they, it's my red, it's their red. Mm. And we all agree it's called red. Whatever that color looks like to their eyes is good. As long as because it all, it, it all stands up. Right, right. As long as you align on what the color looks like. Yeah. But what's interesting is that it may look completely different. I don't know. I Maybe that's where they were getting at. I need to look further into Dadaism. I may be completely wrong here. I may be about to say something moronic. No, but I, I, I think that's something quite different. I think what we're talking about is reasonable. Dadaism is uh, it's not my favorite philosophy that put it very mildly. <laughs> now, didn't Dadaism have some strange link to futurism and fascism? I may be completely wrong about that. But I feel like... I believe it did. There was a link. Because there was a lot of artwork that was sort of looking at modernism, uh, particularly around mechanical um, sort of cogs, wheels, spokes, that sort of thing. And it was partly sculptural and often sort of on a 2D plane on a canvas, but then popping out. And they would often depict mechanical structures and almost just fictitious machines. And I think it does have... It sort of speaks to that modernist yeah, aesthetic yeah i think i think there's 
there was a band of artists actually that identified and came along with that philosophy yeah well i'm sure that there was a lot of um there there was a, a lot of what's modernism isn't it is an avant-garde um art movement so there must have been some opposition to you know the established order in europe at the time um and there must have been some support for you know you know anti-war sentiment that went hand in hand so in that way maybe dadaism was consistent with you know all these beliefs that questioned how everything would be done the only problem with that is that leaves the doorway open for so many different ideas that could be harmful and you know fascism there may have been a link to fascism there there may have been a link to communism there may have been a link to you know other modernist certain modernist movements that could have been, had a negative or positive effect yeah absolutely so i think it was um, quite a dangerous philosophy in that sense because it could be interpreted as there's no i suppose moral compass to anything and there's no right there's no wrong and when it's sort of when you dismiss that yeah almost nihilistic it is nihilistic i think i think at its core it was sort of nihilism but disguised as something a little more sophisticated but it wasn't um but yeah I, I, fundamentally i think it started out as an art movement and it probably it's kind of a lot of it's kind of nonsensical irrational anti-bourgeoisie <laughs> <laughs> absurdism, yeah, absurdism. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. well it spanned all sorts it wasn't just visualized sort of like literary as well as sort of sound media collage sound mm. poetry it's, it's really it really could stretch quite a few faculties across the arts but do you think it's harmful though Did, do you think it was destructive and harmful i think i don't think it was a big enough movement to be destructive and harmful but i think the underlying idea that you can kind of re-baseline people thinking to thinking there's no right and there's no wrong because there's no sort of this is how it is and this is a chair and you will call it a chair mm. because we have to live by some rules otherwise like you say we enter into the realms of nihilism and nihilism also i suppose is a fertile um ground for even more destructive um philosophies extremism absolutely like fascism or yeah. um yeah communism on its extreme Mm-hmm. yeah so so in that sense dadaism was a sort of artistic a t artistic aspect of what of what could have been nihilism or something with the potential to be very destructive for society destructive for the bourgeoisie which some people may have seen as good especially if you're talking you know if you're in the context of you know early 19 early early 20th century russia you know sort of the days of the czar and things like that but then Again, what replaces that? Is it going to be if if movements like like Dadaism replace replace existing orders with things like Marxist Leninism or fascism? Then what good are they really doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, um, I think it also was ripe um, post First World War, right? because it sort of stretched into the early 20s post-World War, and probably the horrors of the First World War probably just re-baselined and sort of threw everything into question, just the atrocities and the deaths and the, mm. um, I suppose, the destruction that, that was seen and the, the amount of death. Um, so I, I think there was a lot of probably negative sentiment going into the movement and probably um, just perpetuated it. Mm. I mean, there was... Um, 
I've got a quote actually here from the American Art News, and it said that data philosophy <laughs> is the sickest, most paralyzing, and most destructive thing that has ever originated from the brain of man. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, isn't that a glowing endorsement? Yes. Well, you can see why the American Art News absolutely endorsed. Um, I didn't realize there was so much hate for Dadaism. I did. I didn't realize. It's a very frustrating philosophy. You kind of you, you can't pin them down because they're nothing and everything. Yeah, I don't want to do that lecturer a disservice because she was actually a pretty decent lecturer. It's just she did seem to like Dadaism. So there's definitely going to be. She's probably rubbing people up along up the wrong way, you know, with with the belief that Dadaism's a force for good. I don't know. It's um, if. I suppose it's it's a, it's a useful <laughs> it's a way of um, freeing yourself from preconceptions, right? And therefore, maybe quite a useful tool uh, yeah. if you confine your actions to the canvas. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually you will find this hilarious. Um, there was um, there there was a meeting uh, of of different artists that I was watching. It was I think it was some kind of YouTube video or something, or in the it was on Vimeo or something, and one of there was actually a dadaist in the room um and he was he was just sitting he refused to sit on a chair <laughs> and he was just sitting in the in the shape of a chair claiming that he was a chair <laughs> and people were getting people were getting frustrated at him I love they were it. just like can you can you just please sit on a chair so that we can have a discussion about you know where we want this to go and he just refused, and but but he decided to make he made sure that all the attention was constantly drawn to him, and then he started he started to claim other insane things like I'm an apple, I'm I'm a <laughs> lamp, I'm a cup, you know all these all these kinds of things. I think no one in the room like, liked him. I, I think it almost weirdly like justifies its own existence by the outrage it perpetuates. It's like, yes, we're getting somewhere, guys. Look how angry they're getting. I'm an apple, for God's sake. Call me an apple. And you just get offended when someone calls you an apple. It's like, I'm a pear now, okay? I was an apple yesterday. (laughs) You idiot, just keep up with my my inanimate object fluidity. (laughs) Can't you see I've metamorphosized, you fool? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so this is it's great that you said that, Andre. Self-justifying outrage. And that's okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of gurus, as politicians, as lecturers in academic bodies that are using basically outrage um, as a means to draw attention upon themselves. And I think this QAnon movement very much does that. Whether they're aware of it or not, I think they're probably aware of it. There's this the movement out there, and basically it's it's claiming that all the all the people in the top echelons of the media and politics are enslaving children and worshipping the devil. Um, and they all, the other thing that I was getting to before, Andre, was they all say the only remedy for this is Donald Trump. Because what, he's anti-establishment and he's neither kind of Republican nor Democrat kind of thing. Well, exactly. Because he's this, is this sort of anti-establishment, anti-Hollywood, anti-liberal... What they would see as the mainstream liberal media, um, but also he's in many ways he's a main he's he's against sort of the conservative media. I mean, in his in his inauguration speech, he was attacking Bush and like the sort of Bush dynasties in American politics as much as 
the Clinton dynasties. Yeah, that was very outrageous. I remember when he was saying that. I was I haven't seen many inaugurations, or at least not seen many that I remember, and I thought that was a pretty outrageous comment. Yeah, I mean, I remember for his security detail at the inauguration, he he turned down the 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 secret service and put in bikers for Trump to form like a ring of bikers around his crowds you know and well, it doesn't get more anti-establishment than that right so yeah. but he revels in it doesn't he he revels in it he revels in it but that's that's the QAnon movement that's the QAnon movement and it's gaining a lot of traction especially in the states a little bit in Britain as well I think there was like a rally or like a save the children rally with and QAnon what is it centered around is it sort of um well what they perceive as healthy questioning down to the bottom and sort of if it's in any sort of official mainstream media then it's probably not true and then question it down to the ground and sort of any crazy theory is better than what they're saying basically questioning everything acceptability accepting any any conspiracy theory that's thrown at you oh my god um, and so you if you look at it it's, they've actually mapped out people's affiliation and interest with QAnon movement um around the time you know i think it was the time the, the world officially shut in was it march 10th or march 13th i forget the membership and affiliation with QAnon went up about 700% so wow so when so was that got, and what kind of a time span are we talking um so this was in the past year it was fairly steady and then uh, the year up until march then in march it started to to zoom it started to absolutely skyrocket so i'm assuming there's a lot of boredom and boredom and anxiety associated with that um and then another um another aspect to that is is probably just you know people's fears over um over what the disease could do to their loved ones or to themselves you know people can't work all these kinds of things yeah. but that all fed into this 700% increase in affiliation with QAnon. Wow. I mean, the trend is very obviously coincides with lockdown and COVID mm. and sort of too much time spent in one's own mind can sometimes be to the detriment of one's own mind, as we know. We spoke about mm. this earlier, right? Mm. You kind of, I suppose you need social um, disapproval and approval um, in accordance to your actions, right? Because that's kind of what dictates what's socially acceptable and what's not. It's by definition yes. what does it is the mechanism by through which we decide what is and isn't right and moral and good and what's mm. illegal and what's not illegal. Mm. So I suppose mm. um, in, a, in the absence of that normal triage process that goes on sort of subconsciously throughout your day as you're walking and just being out there in the public, mm. I suppose that not being exercised is almost like a muscle that's wasting away, right? And it sort of mm. leads to a ripe um, sort of sowing ground for these sort of quite insidious but sort of ideas that I suppose at their root will try and market themselves as sort of being intellectual and questioning everything and actually a healthy way of thinking, mm. but ultimately are quite destructive. Yeah, that's right. That's very well put. It is a cognitive muscle, isn't it? It's like yeah. if you don't go out and run every day or do physical exercise, your your muscle mass and even your bone density will start to wither away. And 
I think the same can be said, as you said, for the lack of disapproval and approval and external stimulation that your mind experiences. Also sense of purpose as well. I think, I think that people, a lot, there's a lot of despair right now. You know, everyone's evil, everyone's, everyone's bad. We're not evil, but the people on the other end of the spectrum are evil. Um, Democrats are calling Republicans evil, Republicans calling Democrats evil, all these kinds of things. But I really believe that um, at the heart of it, people, people are good. People are, um, would, would put their lives on the line to help and save others. Um, by and large, um, it doesn't mean people aren't self-interested, but people people are good, and I think when they when when they have nothing to do with their time and they lose their jobs and they lose their sense of purpose and their communities, they start to attribute importance to other things that may simulate um, some kind of service or some kind of giving, some kind of hero complex mm. um and for a lot of people that may be QAnon. that may be you know there's these evil bastards ruling the world <laughs> and we've got to we've got to take them out we've got to expose them we've got to vote with our feet we've got to elect people that will destroy these evil groups and i think yeah. th there's that sense of service that sense of sort of hero heroic the heroic nature in the human condition that leads people to doing those things and and the internet has just made it come out in such a wacky spaghetti kind of way yeah well i think probably maybe some of these people you know don't have jobs or actually don't feel if they do have jobs don't feel particularly engaged in them because they're not at work day to day anymore hmm. um and maybe that as a token of that you sort of feel disenfranchised and disconnected and like I said, that sort of leads to these insidious thoughts and thoughts that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise have had if you'd been in a healthy office environment and interacting with people. Kind of the day-to-day -day, um, is there's more than enough there to preoccupy you and there's mm. or not all this sort of bandwidth in your mind, almost an unhealthy level of bandwidth in your mind to just, you know, perpetuate these ideas. Mm. Uh, because I suppose these ideas are almost... Look, maybe because there's lack of sense of belonging because you're not seeing as many people and you're all in lockdown. Yeah. You, you you identify with ideas as opposed to with seeing someone for coffee or something. Mm, mm. And it's almost these these ideas become friends and it's it's through the ideas that you make new friends online. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Huh. Oh, you might be onto something there because I mean, look at look at the way ISIS formed in the West. You know, it was young 20 something year old men that were generally socially isolated in school and socially isolated from, you know, the normal rhythms of society. And they would place their emphasis in this extreme hateful movement um, because, again, they wouldn't just be meeting someone down at the pub or for coffee or to go to the movies with. Um, take that and put that on sort of a, a global, like a worldwide scale, then you've mm. got some serious social problems. Um, yeah definitely and because you don't have society out there and you're not out there and experiencing society as it should be as in an arbiter of good and bad behavior you're sort of left to your own devices and it, you know left to your own devices unchecked there can be some pretty extreme views that are generated off the back of that yeah yeah that's true the question the question is is this a human condition or 
is the internet and just the sheer amount of information what what what, what is it what's causing I don't, this I, I don't think you can disconnect the human condition i mean social interaction is so important it's so huge as part of the human condition and so mm. when you unnaturally divorce someone of that level that threshold level of required social interaction then inevitably you're going to yield unnatural results which yeah. i think is what we're seeing and i think sort of a tight-knit community which is what we're seeing less and less of serves as an arbiter and a way of i suppose mediating behavior and what is and isn't acceptable mm. and I, I think in the absence of that you're kind of you know it's it's anyone's guess as to what monstrosity of a philosophy or a mentality or an idea could come up because it's it's not being it's not going through the usual and healthy checks and balances it should be mm, mm. it's it's just it's just breeding like a virus through the internet unchecked and without proper social and real world checks yeah. and balances because the algorithms group people into tight-knit communities mini communities of other people that agree with them yes exactly so, well, it's so, the echo chamber thing that Jerry yeah. doesn't stop talking about yeah yeah the echo chamber effect yeah the echo chamber right and it's kind of your own view is thrown back at you so your views are kind of reaffirmed and it's a pretty unhealthy environment to live in because you might think oh it's nice to have everyone agree with me wrong you need a healthy level of attrition and different viewpoints mm. to sort of, uh, I suppose, bounce your ideas against and check the robustness of your own ideas and philosophy of living. Mm. Because without that, you're kind of doomed to go down quite an extreme path one way or the other and not have it checked. But what, what you need to be checked by reality as well, right? People, I suppose it could lead to quite mischievous behavior. If you're unemployed or on furlough, there's no sort of structure, societal or workplace to keep you, um, I suppose straight and true mm. and running on the um yeah the straight and narrow mm. yeah that's right that's absolutely right i, th I think def definitely the the impact of echo chambers on the internet is is more than ever dangerous now because people have all this time on their hands um you know i know someone who's actually ticking off the days which is never it's never a great position to being you know wishing away your time Oh God, uh, no! That's awful. So, so uh, you know that that makes me sad to see, and I think that you know on top of that, you you, you know th this time is is not being used necessarily in an effective way. Um, I mean, when when we think about people who who are particularly dangerous right now, I would say it's certain groups that. Um, think that people with other opinions should be made illegal. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I th I Th think there's a lot of danger around, you know, the no platforming movements, you know, and those those groups. And I don't know; they could be on the right or the left. It doesn't really matter to me. But those movements that don't think that other groups should have a voice, completely overlooking the fact that they are taking away their ability to fight someone else wanting to take away their voice. Mm. Yeah, it's incredibly short-sighted and obviously they don't realise the full implication of the suggestion mm. because it could equally be turned back on them, right? The barrel could be pointed back at them and then 
but then double standards are pre- prevalent and everywhere right so that's not a surprise but you're right i think the, the i suppose intolerance of other points of view is such a destructive and unfortunately prevalent condition at the minute for whatever reason right and it's almost like you've got the moral high ground i'm super liberal i'm super progressive and all that so by definition anything you do say against this may be given as evidence but yeah it's kind of that thing is if 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 you do cross that line or do dare to disagree with this point of view it's almost like there's not a debate to be had for some Mm. people for some people there is no debate there is it is just an absolute truth and the truth is self-evident um but there are very few self-evident truths, arguably, some people would say none. So, yeah, I think to, to sort of profess that you, you've kind of got all the answers is one incredibly arrogant, but also not very introspective and not like, I suppose, self-conscious enough mm. to realize that no one has all the answers and no philosophy, no, I suppose, way of thinking or pol- politics even has all of the answers mm. it's never the case and it never will be no no because at the end of the day um the real world often doesn't align up with philosophy or politics and no because very- they're simplifications of the real world and the real world's far too granular and complex to mm. be summarized by one philosophy or politics mm. it's highly granular it's highly granular and you can yeah, of course. You can use these philosophies to to govern, um, to try to govern your, you know, the way you treat people on a day to day basis. But the world and life is very spontaneous. Um, people yes. are spontaneous. You know, it's like you're driving a car. You could be the the best driver ever. You could have a completely clean clean record, been driving for fifty years, and then someone else hits you. You know, how you react to that and how you adjust and adapt and learn from it. Is completely up to you, um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of danger, I think, in um, in sort of the absolute truth philosophy, and I think that that's something that's common, certainly on, admittedly, it's on sort of the liberal ends of the spectrum, and I think aspects of it actually harken back to kind of the medi, almost the medieval worldview, of you know, this is exactly yeah. the, the truth. This is exactly the absolute reality that we all live in um and if you don't abide by this we will crucify you yeah it it very much harkens back to that actually that's a really interesting link i've not actually heard before but and yet sort of i think about it now really obvious isn't it Mm. it really does it is a reflection of that sort of sentiment kind of um obey or else Mm. you know and you know we're not saying that democracy or any philosophy within democracy is the end or be all or the way to govern a system Mm. or a population Mm. it's just that there are some systems that work better on than others on balance Mm. and that's it right we can probably say that democracy on balance is better than a dictatorship because there's more people have more of a say Mm. so that's sort of it's not an, maybe not an absolute truth. I wouldn't go that far because there's very few of those, like we said. But it's um, it's a truth, mm. right? That 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 it's sort of difficult to dispute that democracy kind of takes more of the populace's opinion of mm. its government into account than a dictatorship. Mm. Yeah. So definitely. I think there are generalizations. 
yeah, you can make generalizations, but you cannot say that any one system or any one way of thinking or one set of values has all the answers because you're kind of, at that point, a dictatorship, right? Mm. By by definition, you become right. a dictatorship once you become yeah. so complacent that you feel that your system cannot go unchecked. Yeah, exactly. Because the moment you close yourself to debate and scrutiny, then you've kind of, yeah, you, um, almost by definition, you've become a dictatorship, right? Mm. What else are you, if not that? You're penalizing yourself um, mm. and limiting yourself as well. Um, well, you also, it, it, it's anti-growth and anti-development because you're kind of closing yourself to healthy um, debate and rebuttal against what you think is right. Mm. And in actual fact, that all that health debate and scrutiny of a system that you believe is perfect will only will only make it better, mm. Mm. and will act as a as a way of I suppose mediating towards a better, more wholesome system. Yeah, I mean that's what we've seen throughout history, right? There's generally been less dictatorships over the last hundred years as we've moved through the century. Mm. Yeah, definitely, especially in in the West and. And then the Arab Spring. Yeah, of course, the Arab Spring. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the, other, the other side to that is, again, coming back to truth. What is truth? What do we take as truth lies? And how do we constantly adjust our morals? Is Some would argue that you have to, you can have that attitude that we've just discussed, that, that level of flexibility, but you also need a constantly existing um, bed of rules. Um, the what some philosophers would um, describe as objectivism. So at any point in history, uh, whatever the conditions are, whatever changes, there needs to be a certain set of rules. Otherwise, you'll just lead yourself in the situation of immorality and chaos. Um, and for some people, that's the Ten Commandments. Um, for other people, that is the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. You know, you have people that their views and beliefs differ wildly. Um, you know, you could have the, a pot-smoking hippie, or you could have a, uh, you know, an, an ultra-conservative family man from Kansas. I'm just just trying to visualize them. Too much, too much obvious <laughs> yeah. ones here, but they could both believe strongly in the Bill of Rights, or they could both believe strongly to a T in the Ten Commandments. So some would, some would argue that you do need to have some lack of flexibility, some set of rules um, to go by. I don't know. What do, you th what do you think about that, Andre? Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to be values-based if you want to sort of get the most out of life. Mm. And I think those, but those values need to be sort of um, be stress-tested on a constant basis. Um, but I, I think at some point you need to sort of stick and, and have a a foundation of values mm -hmm. um, that are tried and tested throughout history so you can stand on the shoulders of giants and see what's worked over the centuries and millennia, like you just said. And I think that's only wise to do so because there's sort of some things that are just true, almost fundamental truths, although I shy away from saying that, but almost there, right? Mm. Um, it, it's good to help people. Um, it's good to, you know, help the elderly lady down the uh, you know with the trolley down the stairs or whatever it may be it's 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 only good and moral to do so um that's that's not a bad one to have for example but i think generally speaking yeah it, it's definitely 
advisable that you have a solid foundation of values and that you try and stick to them as much as possible. Um, but I think then there's another layer to it is over and above those values in terms of your opinions around um, superior philosophies or politics that needs to be constantly stress tested mm. and I think it's only healthy that you test them with friends people you just meet and I suppose the more variety of people that I suppose interact with your point of view the better because it's just going to get a better you're going to generally become a better more well-rounded person in terms of what you believe to be right and wrong and also um, not become too dogmatic and too centered on a particular philosophy and not you've got to be careful not to adopt too much right mm, mm. Uh, in terms of other values or dogma or whatever it may be but also be have a level, healthy level of scrutiny there um, and understand why you believe what you believe mm, mm. striking up that balance and going full circle here you know bringing in an Ouroboros of conversation here Ouroboros. that's that's why I think that's why I think Buddhism teaches us so much because it's it's the religion of no religion and the starting the starting point of it is here's some here's some cool ideas that we came up with feel free to question them yeah yeah definitely i think that's probably why alan watts has so much sympathy with that particular religion mm. because it, it doesn't proclaim to be the end or be all no no it doesn't it doesn't it, it's it's in a constant state of flux and it professes to be that because it acknowledges that life is in a constant dynamic state of flux right i think there was even like an interview i'm not sure who it was interviewing the dalai lama but you know someone said it you know if i were to show you scientific irrefutable evidence that say reincarnation is impossible would you look at it he's like of course and i would if you provided you provided substantive evidence that's irrefutable I would have to believe that. Mm. That's brilliant. That reincarnation doesn't happen or whatever. Mm. But um, yeah, I suppose there's a admirable humility in that. It's incredibly admirable, yeah. The the ability to, to look at one what one believes and what's what's so dear to someone with with scrutiny when new evidence. I think there's something very scientific about that and that's that's why you can you can sort of marry science and Buddhist philosophy together in a way, because it's something there's something very dynamic and admirable about you know taking taking a new evidence um, and putting aside one's belief system. Um, really, what I believe that boils down to is divorcing yourself from your own ego, which is n near impossible and really really difficult. Um, yeah. I don't even know if it is possible, but it's an aspiration. And I think if you're able to divorce your beliefs when a new um, wave of information comes in, then you're divorcing yourself to a degree from, from one's own ego. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think the ego, if, if you're too centered on it, it can become a very destructive thing. Almost if that's the guiding principle of how your mm. ego feels on a given day. Um, you're probably going to struggle to sort of attain long-term goals. Um, I think you need to be fundamentally values-based as much as that's what possible, and then you know be willing to change them and kind of be the arbiter of your own values based on your experience and interactions, both social and political, whatever it may be.
yeah. but yeah I, I think the willingness and flexibility to change in the sort of uh, in light of new evidence then yeah that's only the right almost treat yourself um as you would the scientific method right yeah, yeah. because i mean other to, to not not to do that is almost to deny evidence and to not in, be inflexible at your own detriment right Mm, it's mm. almost like if you cross the road and get hit by a car it's probably wise that you you know go back and check what the root causes were did you not look right and maybe do that next time it's a really stupid example but you know what i mean Mm. no no but i know exactly what you're saying i suppose the issue i'm having here especially with all these these weird and wacky movements growing around around the u.s and around the world is how do we how do we bring these ideas to the fore when we're bombarded with, you know, the echo chamber effect? We're bombarded with such a intense de- degree of division in politics, daily lives, where we're exposed to things like the rabbit hole effect with with the way algorithms treat people. Um, how how do you how do you see us as taking these principles and, and countering is it is it a personal change that has to happen to everyone or is it is it about espousing those views actually on the internet because the internet isn't going anywhere i mean i would love to tell everyone to just focus on getting a library card and and getting information from books um not that that's completely free from bias but you you know what i mean you know what what's the what's the method in which we could perhaps get some of these these ideas across um without being corrupted by the the current state of algorithms hmm yeah it's a difficult force to um insulate yourself from because it's so pervasive and it's everywhere without social media or even just an innocent website where you're trying to book a holiday right um (laughs) yeah it's it's a tough one you go back to print media but then every print media allegedly has a political slant one sort of another mm. um i suppose you've ultimately all right if, if you've got a strong values based and you've tested it thoroughly or as thoroughly as you can then i suppose you've got to use that as your true north and your compass and mm. i suppose then based on experience and success or failure you can then calibrate that compass but mm. um yeah, I think you need to take everything, unfortunately, with that much more of a bigger pinch of salt now, given mm. the echo chambers. And sort of don't be too quick to jump on the bandwagon and be willing to have your own wagon where no one you're literally <laughs> sitting all by yourself because you're a libertarian, but you also fully believe that Trump is actually, for whatever reason you may have, is, is the right person for to lead America. So I, I think it's almost the freedom and ability to hold seemingly incongruous, uh, mutually exclusive values and ideas whilst being able to justify them coherently. Mm. All underpinned with values. Yeah, yeah. There's um, if, if you can justify being, you know, an, an oil and gas man whilst also being a tree hugger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's probably a way out there to justify that and if you can do that coherently um and convincingly uh, then more power to you really form you as you say beautifully put brother bev forming your own 
bandwagon, even if you're sat there on your own. Be your own, be your own variant of humanity. Be your own brand or whatever you want to call it. Be, be literally your own person, mm-hmm. because ultimately those are the people that that make history. Really, those are the people that make changes. It's the people who there's no one else like that person on earth. You know, yes. there's no one else. That this yes. could be. This could be an Elon Musk or an Alex Jones or an Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, or a or a Bernie Sanders. You know, there's no one else like that individual in this present moment. And that's hard to achieve for a lot of people. But I feel like the good side of having such an abundancy, copious amounts of information is that you can actually get to that level as long as you have um, a spirit of independence and personal sovereignty wherever you go and whatever you read. Yeah, and if you've done deep, real examination into all of the um, various bandwagons and views and politics out there, and you don't identify with any of them, don't be afraid to kind of, you know, sit alone and you know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's healthy, and it's almost like the immune system of society. You need to have mm. those outliers. You need to have those people who think for themselves and hold seemingly incongruous ideas together, mm. because it's it's what binds us ultimately it's those people that stop wars it's those people that maybe mediate and um neutralize the acid Mm. you can't you can't have everyone in one camp and everyone in the other camp a society split like that 50 50 is an unsustainable one you need those people absolutely right Mm. and rarely does that lead to good outcomes Mm. so i i think encourage encouraging sort of people to think for themselves to question everything or have a healthy level of questioning for their own values and then having done that they've they can they can sort of solidly and happily say and sleep at night knowing that those values have been tested robustly and Mm. it's something they can justify to themselves and others and if they can do that then you know like you said put more power to them right Mm. yeah exactly it's the robust stress testing of your views against others um, and this goes back to brilliant, liberating document uh, by John Stuart Mill in the, I think it was written in the eight, maybe 1802, it was, it was early on, um, and he was advocating back then for women in Parliament. And this is at a point where, you know, 100 or more years before women even had the vote. Um, and there was a bunch of other views he espoused, some conservative, some liberal, um, some completely out there from the ethers of whatever, but his whole shtick was basically you're only justified to really fight for your own causes once you've stress-tested them um, against every other particular uh, argument or opposing force. Once you really understand the inner workings and mechanisms behind things that contradict your views, only at that point do you fully understand your own view. Absolutely. And it just speaks back to the Jordan Peterson thing about get your ho- own house in order, get your own mental house in order, get your own ideas and views in order before going out there. And make sure that they've been robustly stress tested before you even go out there and espouse them as gospel or even mm-hmm. dare to. Because how dare you go out there and you know claim this is the one and only philosophy because there is not no no such thing as we've said but no this is sort of the preferable even if it's the preferable thing it does 
it doesn't mean that it's the right philosophy for everybody. It might work for you in your context, but let's be honest, everyone's got a certainly different context, even if that is my neighbor or mm. someone as far away as Africa, South Africa, whatever. Like mm. it's there are the circumstances leading up to the very circumstances I find myself in today are many and complex and and mm. it, there are no two um chains of circumstances that are identical. Mm. And so I wouldn't dare to say that my set of values works for everyone. It's what's worked for me so far and I continue to adjust them accordingly. Mm. if they fail me yeah that's that's absolutely right it's like the race isn't it like you know everyone's starting at a different point or a different lap someone might already be 10 laps in someone might yeah. just be one lap in you know everyone's context is vastly and wildly different and you have to allow for that context to inform their views you can't rubber stamp you can't you can't have sort of a one-size-fits-all belief system um yeah that fits everyone to a T. And again, that's why open forums need to exist. You know, going back to the Greek philosophies that you mentioned before, you know, it's, it's very important to, to have those open forums, but also marry them with other things, marry them with Buddhism, marry them with libertarianism, you know, marry them with, with basically any belief system that advises against coercion. That's right. And I think any system that detracts from radical transparency with people to people um philosophies to philosophies debates this has to happen like i've been reading a book principles by ray daly which i thoroughly recommend and he talks about radical mm. transparency as a the underlying culture that essentially permeates all conversations meetings and decisions within his company and he's a pretty successful guy so it, it must it must have a hell of a lot of merit and it makes a lot of sense when he talks you through it but essentially, yes. it's getting beyond sort of the niceties of, you know, agreeing and sort of realizing the merits of disagreement, hmm. the merits of having two radically different points of view and then actually arriving at a far better conclusion than either of you could have arrived independently. Hmm. And work in, the, you know, let's talk about two, three people. He's talking about a meeting of maybe 10 people and then you, you know, thrashing it out amongst yourselves with radical transparency. Mm. saying why i don't think your view is quite right and this is why and then them coming back saying well this is view is quite different to this one but i think if paired with this person's view could work really well yeah and it's only what kind of with that true spirit of collaboration fostered by radical transparency transparency of the sort you don't normally see in the workplace as the workplace example but it could be taken up a level or up or down yeah um is the, the the only way really to go forward and it ultimately just boils down to radically honest conversation with i suppose oneself because mm. you have to sort of be open to being very very wrong and being being able to get a taking a bruising on the ego and then being sort of putting your hands up and saying they've got it right or maybe the, the, the look the truth is if we've got 10 people in a room they've got 10 different views the chances that one person has the whole truth are nil so it's likely going to be yeah. a an average of those 10 views combined somewhere yep and, and where that pendulum swings is is a matter of thrashing it out and being radically transparent with oneself and everyone else in that room i just love i love the aspiration of radical transparency i love that 
And since you've been talking about that concept to me, and there's someone else that was on the Joe Rogan podcast that was discussing that, and I've been trying to put that into to my life more and more in, you know, it could be in job interviews, it could be friendships, it could be anything. It saves so much time. Yeah, it saves so much time diddling and dallying about niceties mm. or trying to be careful not to hurt someone's feelings. Mm. You're going to achieve a lot more, a lot more quickly if you, you're radically, tra- and tr- trust me, like t- radically transparent, radically trans- radical transparency by extension is almost telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Mm. So help mm. me God. So help me God. Yeah, exactly. And I love, I love how this is coming back to truth, you know, in the discussion of what is truth, because, um, you know, and you've you've got people who will always try and defend white lies and things like that. But hey, look, at the end of the day, I found, you know, in in business, uh, in relationships, uh, you know, in any situation, if you don't, if you're not transparent for the for maybe a few weeks or a few months or in that moment, you're going to feel better because you're going to be effectively, you're going to be emotionally or financially procrastinating. But then in a few months time, everyone's going to get more hurt when the end result comes to the fore. You know, when exactly. the, the true reality is going to be far more hurtful. And then the byproduct of that is you've wasted all this time. Um, yeah. And usually people who are not radically transparent um, myself included in this, um, are doing it for the intentions of people pleasing. Um, yeah. But once you, once you don't do that, and then at a later date when the shit does hit the fan, you piss off more people than you would have done initially. Of course. So of course it compounds. It compounds. It compounds exactly. It, you you've kind of you ultimately there there is a level of um, dishonesty there. Or you're kind of, mm. although well-intentioned, is dishonest. Of because course. where you kind of should have challenged and where sort of your moral compass and values, um, I suppose, abraded against someone's view, you should have let them know that it is. And maybe then you would have thrashed it out and ended up with a better value or a philosophy for both of you. Mm. And actually ended up agreeing on somewhere on the truth, which probably lies somewhere between your two viewpoints. Exactly. And, and to adopt more sort of collaborative um efforts that can benefit both parties or all parties concerned well there's it's sometimes it's, it's 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 there's nothing more sometimes more rewarding than thrashing it out and having a healthy disagreement and it, you know if that means slightly raised voices and you know the emotions in there that's fine as long as you the end result is there in that you reach a medium or you've both expressed yourselves both truly and fully mm. then you're likely to reach a far better result far more quickly than have it fester and then come out as something far uglier days, years down the line. Mm. Even if even if going right to the extreme here, Brother Bear, I mean, you're exactly right there, but even if the, ext- the, the extreme result of that is you quitting that job and going on to pastures new and doing something else, you have converted that energy into something hopefully more productive and true to yourself. Yeah, um, and as with all these things, easier said than done, right? We can all sort of probably relate to a time when we're not fully fulfilled at work, but mm. um, because of whatever concerns around job security or else, um, it's easier said than done. But so I think although we know this is good advice, by no means do I follow it to the T all of the time at all. No, again, you know, you adjust dynamically depending on the situation. 
and depending on you know what the outer forces are like only you truly know what the benefit would be and what the best the next best action would be but definitely yeah definitely radical transparency on this this topic of truth and what truth is in the modern era how it's being distorted and how we can somehow avoid that um i really think that the the sort of philosophy of radical and tactful transparency um you know i couldn't say i couldn't say a bad word about it really no, there's almost nothing bad that comes off it apart from maybe someone being offended for a day or a week. But what's that What when the alternative mm. is, um, I suppose, not being truthful with oneself and the other person, which ultimately mm. is what creates meaningful relationships. Yeah, exactly. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Well, I think... Um, I think that's all we have time for now. I think it's time to to wrap up this this meandering, freewheeling uh, conversation. This has been sort of an alternative approach. Um, it's been perhaps not so much a little less scripted, but a little less Q and A focused. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, brother Bear. I really enjoyed it. I was just frustrated. I was sometimes yumming and ahhing and but no, it's fine. I really enjoyed it, man. It was awesome, and I think it's probably what we're best at. And we'll have, a, we'll have a guest sooner or later, but no, I absolutely love that. That's an absolute wrap of a piece. Beautiful. It, it is. It is. Well, I'm very glad to hear that, Brother Bear. We'll wrap it up now, um, and we will be tuning in uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Oh my God, it's me next. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> You're up next, boy. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. We're going to have a guest next week. <laughs> I don't know who yet. Got to find them. Okay, someone off the street. Anyone? Hello? Anyone? Describe All right. a stranger. You! Take care, You'll do! Bear. Take care. Over and out, good friend. Papao! Kapow! Over and out.